Hello and welcome to Iroquois History and Legends. This is Andrew. And this is Caleb. And welcome to our sixth installment on Haudenosaunee Legends. Andrew, we've been being bugged for a long time to do another one of these. We have, actually. <laughs> a lot of people have written in. But what is our first tale about today, Caleb? Well, Andrew, we all have callings in life, don't we? Some of us are naturally better at other things. Like me, for example. I'm very good at radio and podcasting. And you're very good at... Uh, Editing and things like that. Lots of time, people that aren't good at things want to do them because they feel like there's some honor in it or something like that. You know, they want to be the guy out in front. They say that a good leader is a good follower, but nobody wants to be a follower. Everybody wants to be a good leader. So this first story covers an animal who has many gifts, but leading an army is not one of them. A very long time ago, there was a very scummy lake. Floating on top of that lake was a log, completely covered in moss. And on that log sat Turtle. He sat there with his neck and legs stretched out, and was soaking up every bit of sunlight that he could. He was not able to relax for long, however, as his peace was soon interrupted with a loud hoot. <laughs> boomed Hoot Owl. Turtle is a coward. He is no warrior. He has never led any war party to victory. He is a coward, I say. <laughs> He's no coward, came a reply. It was Bobcat, who had been resting by the shore. Turtle seemed pleased that someone was there to defend his honor. I have seen him, Bobcat continued. I have seen him. Pluck out the eyes of dead fish. He is brave. Oh, so brave. He even attacks dead frogs. Turtle then realized that he was being mocked and became indignant. He wondered what he should do to prove his bravery. He sat and thought, and after four days he decided that he would set out to recruit others to his cause, calling them to arms against Huxa. Now Huxa was a jungi. The Jungi are little people, who the Europeans might think of as fairies. But they don't fly. That would be silly. Turtle chose Huxa because he used to come down to Turtle's pond and throw small rocks at him. Turtle now had his plan. I will kill Huxa and all of his family as well, said Turtle proudly. Early in the morning before dawn, Turtle left his scummy pond and headed down the creek that drained from the swamp. It soon joined up with the river. The waters were moving as a torrent, and he did not think it would be wise to cross it as it was. He moved up and down the bank, looking for anything to ease his travel. Then he saw something, tucked away in the bushes. He could not believe his luck. It was Huxa's canoe. He pulled out the boat and climbed in. He sat up and grabbed the oar. After pushing off, he was soon on his way down the river, and as he went, he sang out a war chant, to attract brave warriors to come and join him on his quest to kill Huxa. And his song sounded like this. Warriors, brave warriors, wherever you be, warriors, come along and fight with me. Warriors, come and fight like me. Bite and fight, but don't ever flee. He sang as loud and as long as he could, confident that he would soon attract courageous braves to join him. Then Turtle was interrupted. I would like to join, 
Turtle looked over behind him. It was Fox. Turtle turned his canoe and came over to Fox by the shore. Wonderful, Turtle exclaimed. But first you must show me what your abilities are. Fox began to jump around swiftly. He darted back and forth from tree to tree. He zigged and zagged, and then all at once he was back by Turtle, standing proudly. Uh, I don't think so, Fox, said Turtle. You are fast, but in the end, if things go bad, you would just run away and leave us all behind. I need warriors who do not run away, but stand and fight. With that, Turtle cast off and continued down the river. Later that morning, Turtle came upon Rattlesnake, who was sitting on a rock in the sun. He came over and told Turtle that he would like to join. Turtle pulled his boat up to the shore and greeted Rattlesnake. Hello, Rattlesnake. Hello. You must first show me what you can do if you wish to come along on my war party. With that, Rattlesnake pulled himself into a coil, and then suddenly he sprang out and attacked a hare that had been sitting in the leaves. After a brief struggle, the hare was dead. Please, please, Rattlesnake, get in. You are welcome to come, Turtle said eagerly. He was very pleased to have his first warrior join him, and his song picked up in joyfulness. A short way down the river, a howl came from across the way. It was Dog. Turtle and Rattlesnake came over and rested on the shore. Hello, Dog. Hello. So you wish to join me in my war party, but first you must show me what your strengths are, said Turtle. Dog barked and began to run around, but a pine cone fell from the tree and scared him. The last thing Turtle saw was a brown streak running away from him through the woods. Turtle let out a sigh, <sighs> shook his head, and continued down the river, singing his war chant all afternoon. Then Porcupine came down from a tall pine tree and greeted Turtle with a whistle. <whistles> Turtle came over and asked Porcupine, Please, Porcupine, show me what your gifts are. Stand back, please, said Porcupine. He then began to shake violently and threw dozens of poison arrows at a target. Please, Porcupine, come with me. You are welcome on this war party, said Turtle enthusiastically. All three of them climbed into the canoe, and Turtle again began his song. Sano the skunk came scurrying from the forest and called out to the war party. Turtle pulled up ashore and came over to Sano to greet him. And what is your special gift? asked Turtle. There was a long pause. Sano looked away awkwardly. Turtle stood there avoiding eye contact as well. Then Turtle realized he knew quite well what Sano could do. Please, get on board, but keep your special gift to yourself for now, he said. He knew that skunks were good warriors because they did not rush and they did not run away from danger. Turtle continued his war song that evening, but no one else joined him. Bear came stumbling out of the woods, but he just told Turtle to go away and that he did not want to be bothered. Wolverine, Panther, Fisher, and Buzzard all came by, but when they saw what the war party consisted of, they declined to join as well. Even Horned Owl said it was folly for them to attack Huxa. Turtle, however, was not afraid. That night they came to Huxa's longhouse. It was not as large as a regular longhouse, for the Jungi are smaller than you or I, but it was still a large dwelling to the animals of the war party. After pulling up a short distance away from the dwelling, Turtle and his warriors jumped out of the canoe 
and began to make plans for their attack. Rattlesnake, said Turtle, you see that pile of firewood over there by the front door? Go and hide in it. When someone comes over to pick up some kindling, you will spring up and attack them. Turtle then looked at Skunk. You go to the back of the house and guard the rear door. Porcupine, you will go up on the roof. When we attack, make a noise, and when the junkies look up into the smoke hole to see what the sound is, shoot your arrows down into their faces and blind them. Turtle was now pleased, as he would have the longhouse surrounded from every direction. But Turtle soon realized that he did not have any place to attack from. After looking around for a bit, he discovered the spring that the Jungi used for gathering water. Next to the spring, he saw a pile of rocks, and he crawled into a small crevice to hide there. Then he waited. At dawn, the members of the longhouse began to rise for the day. The mother of Hoxha rose up and was heating up a pot of sunflower oil to make breakfast with. She went outside to get some more wood for the fire, but before she bent down, she noticed something shiny in the woodpile. Aggie! She screamed. A snake is hiding in the wood! She grabbed her corn hoe that was against the house and plunged it into Rattlesnake's neck before he could react. She did not stop until the head was severed. Hooksa was inside the longhouse and was alarmed at the commotion. Then he smelled something wretched and foul coming from the back of the house. He peered out through the crack of the door and smiled. I see you there hiding. He grabbed his bow, aimed carefully, and then let his arrow fly. It sailed straight into the belly of Skunk. Hooksa's mother came back into the house and began to check on the pot of oil she had been heating up. In the reflection, she saw something leaning over the smoke hole, peering down at her. Quietly and quickly, she reached for a fistful of tobacco leaves and cast them into the flames. The smoke that rose up hit Porcupine in the face. He became dazed and confused. Being so bewildered, he fell right off the roof, through the smoke hole, and into the cauldron of boiling sunflower oil. After this, Hooks's father went down to the spring to get something to drink for the family. He dropped his bucket into the water, and as he did, Turtle came out from the rocks by the spring and bit him right on the leg. Turtle held on tight and would not let go. Agay! shouted the father. What is this? Oh, it is Turtle, and he is here to fight. I am happy to fight him. I will cast him into the fire of our longhouse. Turtle was now very scared for he knew that all of his war party was now dead. He was still holding on to the father's leg, but he knew that he also needed to speak, so he began to mutter without opening his mouth all the way. Oh yes, quickly, bring me to the fire. I love fire. This is where I derive all of my power. Let me breathe in the smoke. Let me drink in the flames. Let it course through my body. Oh, yes, you will regret putting me in the fire. <laughs> is that so? said the father. If the fire is what you love so well, then I will take you down to the river where you will drown. Oh, no! screamed Turtle. Not the river! I cannot swim! I will die! Please, no, anything but that! It is but my one weakness! The father then headed towards the river. He could not run because Turtle was still holding on to his leg. 
But once he was in the water, Turtle let go of the Jungi, and he descended to the bottom of the riverbed. He was so afraid that he stayed there for four days. The Jungi had thrown the bodies of his war party into the river as well, and Turtle looked with horror as he saw them float away. After four days, he came out of the river and sat in the sun thinking. He thought for four more days, and then he said, I will go back to my scummy pond. Turtle did just that. If you look on a mossy log in a pond to this day, you may see a turtle sitting there, thinking to himself, I was never meant to be a war chief. I belong here in my pond. Before the Great Spirit made his most beloved and disobedient children, the ones we call man, the beasts of the field and the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky would talk to one another. But that does not mean that they would always get along. The animals were separated into two tribes. One tribe prided themselves in eating nothing but that which grew from the earth. They were the grass tribe and they lived humbly and honored each other by how respectful they were to one another. The second tribe were the hunters, or, as they were also known, the blood tribe. They took pride and gained honor for themselves by using their strength and skills to kill and eat the grass tribe. The great spirit made the grass eaters multiply much faster and the blood eaters much slower, That way, the hunter tribe would never kill all the grass eaters. Now in those days, the blood eaters made a treaty and agreed never to kill one another, but only ever to hunt the grass eaters, and for a long time the treaty was kept, until one day, Brown Owl was sitting in her tree, looking at her owlets. They were not growing the way they should. Their feathers were not glossy, and their eyes were not bright and their claws were not growing sharp. And she knew why. Her babies were starving. She would hunt every possible moment, but there was so much snow on the ground that it made hunting mice almost impossible. And to make things more difficult, it was so cold that she could only leave her nest for a few minutes before her chicks began to shiver. I must find a meal for my chicks or they will surely die by morning. But then a miracle happened, or so she thought. A big fat field mouse was walking on the snow only a few yards away. She swooped down without a moment's hesitation, grabbing the mouse in her claws and cracking its neck with its strong grip, killing it almost instantly. I have caught a good meal for you, my chicks. Now eat and grow strong. It wasn't until she dropped the mouse to her chicks and they began to eat that she had realized what she'd done. What she had killed was no mouse, but a baby weasel. Now another bird may have thought that this terrible secret would have died with the baby weasel, but Brown Owl was too smart to deceive herself into believing that. She knew how many eyes were in the woods and that it would only be a matter of time before weasel 
had learned of the fate of his son. The eyes of Gray Squirrel looked down from a tall oak tree to the body of the baby weasel. He watched with relish as his body was torn to pieces. You see, just the day before, Gray Squirrel had seen his mate killed and eaten by Weasel. I, I, I will be the first to tell Weasel that, that what has become of his son. Now he may feel a, a small amount of the same pain that he has caused the rest of us. Squirrel jumped tree to tree as fast as he could until he came to the pine that stood over Weasel's den. When he looked down, he saw Weasel dragging the body of another squirrel across the snow. Ho! There, Weasel! What are you doing there? You should know, said Weasel. Isn't he related to you? Uh, 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 oh, no, said Squirrel. You have already eaten all of my family. All the same to me, said Weasel. Little Weasel Boy will enjoy this meal, as he dragged the corpse into his den. Weasel, bef before you go, would you answer a question for me? Just be fast about it. You, you have tasted the blood of many animals, right? Of course. I am a mighty hunter. I was curious what weasel blood tastes like. How would I know that? We don't eat our own kind. You're right. Maybe I should go ask Brown Owl. She did just eat your weasel boy this morning. Bye bye With that said, Squirrel squirried away into a tree. Weasel ran down into his den, telling himself, Squirrel is a liar. What does he know? My son is alive. He began to yell, Weasel boy! Oh, Weasel Boy! Weasel Boy, where, where are you? Weasel walked out of his den and looked into the sky and said, I will make Brown Owl pay for this. He ran through the woods until he came to a hollow log not far from Owl's tree. From there, he would spy on Owl. He noticed she would fly out of her nest every evening right at dark to hunt. And this was when he decided to strike. As soon as Owl was out of sight, he quickly scurried up into the tree, right into her nest. The owlets were excited at first, thinking the commotion was their mother bringing them back some food. But instead of food, they found quick death. One by one, Weasel bit down on their necks until all the owlets were dead. Then he scurried down the tree, back to his hollow log, to wait for Owl to return. He wanted to be here when she found her owlets. Weasel fell asleep waiting for her, but was awoken by the sound of her wailing. When Weasel heard it, he smiled to himself, saying, I have avenged you, Weasel boy. After a night of owl's mourning, Brown Owl examined her dead owlets and could tell the murder was done by a weasel. She vowed to find Weasel and avenge her babies. That night, she flew through the woods using her keen eyesight to find Weasel. She was a great hunter, but so was Weasel, and he had no intention of being caught. She let her strong voice carry through the woods. Where are you, you stretched out rat? Show yourself so I may kill you. Weasel heard her and decided to test fate and taunt her. I'm over here, pie face. Can you hear me, round eye, you murdering tree vulture? There is very little a brown owl can miss with their keen eyes and ears, so it was only a matter of seconds after Weasel had spoken before Owl was diving at Weasel with her talons outstretched, 
Closer and closer she came until at the very last second, just a blink of an eye, Weasel disappeared. She looked around and saw him by another log. She dove again, and just like before, he disappeared. You see, Owl may be a great hunter, but Weasel had the fastest reflexes in the forest. It was said that he was so fast that he could outsnap a rattlesnake. And after seeing the amount of dead snakes around Weasel's den, I believe it to be true. Owl dove at Weasel over 100 times, but every time she got a little slower and Weasel's laugh grew a little louder. Ha ha! Owl could not take it anymore. She flew to a stump and called out to Weasel. Come fight me, Weasel! If you will not fight me, I may never heal my heart by avenging my owlets. And if you do not kill me, you will never avenge your weasel boy. Weasel hated to admit it, but Owl was right. He loved watching her futile attempts to catch him, but to kill her would be the greatest victory. But he thought it would not be fair to fight Owl in the open, because she had wings and sharp talons, and all he had were his teeth. I have a proposition for you. And what is that? You're correct that the only way to settle this is by a fight to the death. But the fight needs to be fair. I propose that we find a hollow log just large enough for the two of us to fit in. That way when we fight, you will not be able to use your wings and talons. But it will be teeth against beak. And only one of us will leave the log alive. Owl trusted in her strength and thought if Weasel had no room to jump away, she could use her brute strength to overwhelm Weasel's speed. I agree. I know of a log just as you described. Shall we go now, or... Now is fine. Let's go. The two enemies moved through the forest until they came to the log. The log was perfect for their battle. It was wider on one end than on the other, so it would be a tight fit for both Weasel and Owl. They each took their places on two sides of the log. Let us charge on the count of three, said Owl. And you will die on four, said Weasel. One, One, two, two, three. All of a sudden, the lights disappeared. Owl and Weasel did not know what happened. From one second to the next, some sort of door had swung closed on each end of the log and pushed the two of them so close together that they could not move. In fact, they could barely breathe. You tricked me, Owl, yelled Weasel. I did nothing, said Owl. I don't know what's going on. Perhaps I could answer a few questions, said a voice. It was a jungie. Uncle, what is that? Well, nephew, a jungie is a lot like a man. In fact, they look exactly like a man, but they're smaller, much smaller. A full-grown jungie is only the size of your hand. That's pretty small. But even though they look like men, they don't act like them. They are much smarter and wiser. But they can also be sneaky and mischievous. And Owl and Weasel just climbed right into his trap. You two have just been caught into my log trap. I am a great trapper among the Jungis, and even I have never caught an owl and a weasel in the same trap. What are you going to do to us? said Owl. Well, I've been meaning to make a new headdress, and your feathers would be perfect. Weasel would have laughed to hear this, had he not been so cramped in the log. So Owl will be killed, but what of me? I have no feathers. So you may as well let me go. No, 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 said the Jungie. 
You have beautiful fur. I think I will skin you and make a new coat. No, cried Weasel. No, cried Owl. We will do whatever you say. Please spare us. Well, I don't know, said the Jungie. Please, please, please. We promise. Just name it and we will do it. Please. We can't even breathe. Very well. I will let you both out on the condition that you make peace with one another. Oh, I will, said Owl. Weasel will be my new best friend. Oh, I will, said Weasel. Owl and I will be like siblings from now on. I will open the trap. The second the trap was opened, Weasel and Owl sprinted for the opening. Weasel yelled out, So long, sucker! I will never make friends with... The trap snapped closed again. Let me give both of you some advice. If you ever plan to betray someone with the power to save your life, wait to mock him until after you have escaped from his trap. Owl and Weasel began to cry. I can't help it, said Weasel. I'm a sneaky hunter. I can't be blamed for acting in the character that the creator gave me. You are right. You can't be held accountable for acting on your instinct. But why do you expect Owl to not act on hers? What do you mean? Owl swooped down on your weasel boy thinking he was a mouse. Her instincts tell her to kill mice and feed her owlets. Both of you have killed, but the killing was not the sin. It was the hatred in your hearts that was the sin. Both of you are great hunters, and the great spirit has made it so. You both must kill to eat and live and feed your young, but that is where it ends. Owl and Weasel thought long and hard on this, and they agreed to smoke the sacred tobacco together. Owl, said Weasel, we may not be friends after today, but we don't have to be enemies. The time may come when you will need to feed and try to kill me and my young, and the day may come when I may need to kill you and feed my young. But if that day comes, we will do it because we need to, not because we hate each other. Agreed, said Owl. And now, said the Jungie, it is time for your punishment. Our, Our punishment? punishment, they said. Yes, to show you now have pure hearts, you must squeeze across each other in the log without touching the log. If you do this correctly, my spell will make your fur and feathers turn white as snow. No, no said Owl and Weasel. If we turn white, all the other creatures will run from us, thinking we're ghosts. We will have no friends. This is what I require of you in order to go free. Very, Very well. well. They both squeezed into the log. But Weasel was scared to think of a ghost owl hunting him in the night for all time. So as he squeezed past her, he scratched wood from the log and kicked the wood chips into her feathers. When Owl came out of the other end of the log, she was no longer a brown owl, but a snow owl. But she was not pure white as the Jungie had intended. The wood chips had stained small brown spots all over her white feathers. Before Weasel got to the end of the log, he put his tail in his mouth. So when he came out, he was snow white on his entire body, except for the end of his tail. 
That was black as coal. When the Jungie saw this, he ran over to chastise Weasel for not following through with the agreement. Weasel told him, I can't help it. It's just the way I am. I'm a sneaky hunter. Weasel and Owl disappeared into the forest, and the Jungie said to himself, Oh, that Weasel. I don't think he can help it. Well, Caleb, there was a lot of death in those stories. Sorry if you got your kids here and they're all mortified now and crying for owls, little babies, or turtles, companions. These are stories that the Haudenosaunee people tell their children to this day. Also, it's kind of a weird coincidence that we both featured stories that involved jungies, which uh, it's the first time that we've ever done a story with them in it, and we each picked one. And they feature prominently in many tales as well. So we hope that you enjoyed this episode. Just a reminder, if you haven't yet, what should they do, Caleb? Well, there's a lot of things they should do. For one, uh, if you'd like to be a member of the Wild Sweet Potato Clan, there's only one requirement, and that is to go on iTunes and leave us a positive review. But there's a few other things you can do to show your love. Like us on Facebook, Iroquois History and Legends. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Iroquois History. Feel free to send us an email, ask us a question, chew us out. Actually, if you're going to chew us out, just address it to Andrew. I really don't want to see it. I don't take criticism as well as him. He really doesn't. (laughs) We're doing a free show, Andrew. I don't want to hear any criticism. Our email address is longhousepodcast at gmail.com. Andrew and I are both doing a lot of research right now. Basically, we're researching three different episodes at once. We were getting ready to move along in the narrative, but now we're thinking we might do a couple bios on some really interesting characters at the end of the American Revolution. So stay tuned and uh, be watching us on your feed. We should have another episode out within the next few weeks. Thank you, everyone, and have a great day. Bye, everybody.